Good morning, ladies and gentle people. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And it's sure great to be with you on this snowy Lincoln, Nebraska morning. Uh, we've had an intermittent uh, uh, amount of flurries here, rather large flakes. And Jim, you had a, a name for this sort of storm. Yeah, they're calling it an Alberta Clipper. Basically coming down out of uh, south-central, southwestern Canada, very fast-moving, low-moisture type of storms. So we're not going to get much snow out of it. I think they need to tighten the, the waistline of Canada because it's sort of like lopped over, you know, the Dunlop disease. <laughs> and now we've got this sort of bulge down here in the Midwest with really frigid temperatures. Uh-huh. So next week, I think we're supposed to get some really cold Days and nights. Yeah, starting on Monday, it's going to get really frigid. But, you know, it could could be worse. The Canadians have it a lot worse than we do uh, during their winter times. If you've seen some of the photos from up there, it's just, uh, wow. The Great White North. The Great White North. Up there. Okay, Scott Colborn and Jim Shorney. Uh, Colleen's not with us this morning. We wish her well. We're sure glad you guys and gals are out there listening, too. It's great to know that you're out there, 34-plus years, and we're still having a lot of fun. We're going to start the program with Charlene and Pet Talk with Dogs and Cats for Adoption. Then we've got Rosemary Ellen Guiley, In the Dark with Rosemary, an update that's always interesting. Our main guest is first-timer Dave Spinks. He's written two books, West Virginia Bigfoot and Real West Virginia hauntings. Our first time guest, Dave Spinks, coming up here. Now, the guests heard on the program today were made possible in part by donations of prepaid phone cards by Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Shelley from Canada. Through their generosity, thousands of people Speaking of can Canadians. hear the program. We sure appreciate that. Let's go to uh, Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and she should be right there. Good morning. Hey, how are you, Charlene? I'm doing great. How are you? Thank you for asking. Doing really well. And tell us what's currently going on at the Capital Humane Society. We have great animals looking for homes, uh, cute dogs, cats, a couple of rabbits and guinea pigs, all available for adoption. Um, let's see. It looks like we are going to have an event at our Pylock Pet Adoption uh, Center on February 3rd. It'll be Meet the Authors of the Book, The True Adventures of Me, Bodie. And you can find more information about that event and other events on our website at capitalhumanesociety.org. Um, so it's just a, a good website to go to when you're looking for ways to support the Humane Society. So how's your cat count this week? It's it's do it's good. <laughs> um, I don't know the exact number. Um, I would guess we probably have around twenty twenty five at the moment. Okay. Um, so we have they're just cute, all kinds, torties, tabbies, uh, looking for great homes. So quite a few of the lucky eighty four have been adopted. Already. Yes. Yes, and we're so grateful for the community that came out and supported us by donating and by adopting. It was just really glorious to see. That is awesome. Well, speaking of cats for adoption. Okay, let's do that. We can start with Daisy, who's super cute with her little lion Aww. cut. <laughs> Big green eyes. 
She is seven years old. She has long hair, but again, she's got her little trim right now, but it'll all grow back soft and shiny, and she just needs someone who's going to provide her with proper grooming. Uh, She's bright and beautiful and looking for a family that will take excellent care of her. And she's got that great expression, Jim, on her face, too. She's saying, wait a minute, show that to me one more time? What was that? Either that or it's come at me with those scissors again and I'm going to bite your face off. Uh, What a cute cat. Daisy is waiting for a great home, Uh, and it could be yours. Daisy's followed by... Magnum. And Magnum is a very handsome polydactyl cat. Can, can Can you say the name of the cat again? Magnum. P.I. <laughs> he is uh, two uh, years old. He's got extra toes that make him extra cute. So they're kind of oh. hiding behind the blanket there. But uh, you have to come in and see Magnum in person. He is just super handsome. Kind of a Sylvester cat look there with the black uh-huh. and the white. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I understand from my reading that... Uh, Ernest Hemingway, Hemingway had uh, quite a few polydactyl cats at his Florida estate, and uh, their their descendants still inhabit the premises. Ah, interesting. Magnum P.I. waits for your second cat today. Good-looking cat uh, and the multi-toed cat. The multi-toed cat. And Magnum, see, now you said Sylvester. Seville- I want to just Sylvester. keep calling this cat Sylvester. <laughs> <laughs> It does seem appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And our third cat is? Ty. And Ty has the cutest little look on his face. (laughs) He is very clever and charming. About a year old, a domestic short hair, a gray tabby cat, really adorable, and will keep you grinning from ear to ear. (laughs) Timey kangaroo down, sport. Oh, boy. (laughs) Timey kangaroo. That was a stretch. No, it's, it's my past. It's my past. Uh, <laughs> Ty, T-Y, and again, the, the expression with the ears kind of coming down, like, won't you let me go home today with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go home. Okay, Daisy, Magnum, and Ty, three great, uh, awesome. great cats. Um, Magnum is also called Sylvester. <laughs> and see their pictures of Daisy, Magnum, and Ty at capitalhumanesociety.org. Better yet, see him in person today and tomorrow. Here's Charlene with hours open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30. And what's this meet the authors thing coming up? So that's going to be coming up uh, uh, in February. It's going to be February 3rd from 2 to 4 at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. And it's just a fun um, activity for people to come out and meet the authors of the book. Um, it was written... Um, by a do- or about a dog that was adopted from Capital Humane Society and named after our president and CEO, Bob Downey. Oh, cool. Okay, we've got dogs for adoption now. We've got some great-looking dogs here, and who's first up? We're going to start with Jester. And sometimes we do have dogs available off-site, and Jester is available off-site. He's a one-year-old neutered male lab mix. 
and he is available at Camp Bow Wow. So you would call them to make an appointment to meet him. Um, he's very cute, very spunky, loves to have fun, maybe a little bit shy when you first meet him, but then he warms up and is just a silly, lovely dog. So That, that place has got such a fun name to say. I love to yes. say it out loud, Camp Bow Wow. Yes. It's just pure fun. <laughs> And gesture. If you need a court gesture for your court, this guy might be the, the the one here. And what would you say his visage or expression is uh, foretelling? What is he trying to convey to us? Uh, Want to play or what's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jester's got a buddy, and his or her name is Huey. Is next. And Huey is a very big puppy. He's eight months old and already 62 pounds. <laughs> so he's a big boy, going to get bigger. Needs somebody who has loads of energy, who can keep up with him. Uh, he likes to go and go. Um, but he's very smart. He already knows sit and wait. Um, so he just needs somebody who's going to put the time into training him and helping him be the best boy he can be. Um, Huey, a great-looking dog, he's going to be a Big dog, so if you want to be pulled along uh-huh. on those morning and evening walks, he'd be a fun dog. <laughs> and again, all these dogs are up at capitalhumanesociety.org. Jester, Huey, and then there's... Next up is Laz, and Laz is a pit bull mix, four years old, a spayed female, so pretty with her one little blue eye. She's black and white, uh, loves to get outside to explore, likes people is looking for a great home without young kids so needs children that are over eight years old Mm -hmm. and she wants to meet other dogs to make sure they're going to get along Uh, but if you have energy and like a fun companion please ask about laz okay great dogs see their pictures at capitalhumanesociety.org you can click on the thumbnail and it pops open for more information and uh, here's charlene again with hours open today and tomorrow We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Um, My best to you and the staff out there. Thank you for all the great work that you do for us, Charlene. Thank you. We appreciate all that you do. The Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or cat. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to my left arm stretch to the phone and punch the buttons. Okay, Jen Shorty is here. How's your week been, by the way? Pretty good. Nice to have a car that runs right again. Oh, especially. I've, I've been enjoying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting to work on time and everything. Well, kudos to the guys. I know the people that fixed that for yeah, you, so kudos yeah. to them. Good guys. Next up is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she has got such an interesting place she's at this weekend. Rosemary, are both feet on the ground, or are you floating? What's going on there? Well, I should be floating. I'm enough in elevation. I'm at Big Bear Lake, California, wow. outside of Los Angeles. We're up at about 7,000 feet. And the event is Alien Snowfest 2, a UFO conference at the convention center here. And um, the, the number one was a couple of years ago. So it's uh, nice that the organizer, Trevor Potter, is keeping the franchise going. Uh, we started yesterday, and uh, uh, we wind up uh, this evening uh, it's quite an interesting program. And uh, are you okay with altitude? Do you, um, do you function okay, or does it take you a day or two to kind of get used to it? Uh, it's a little getting used to. Uh, it hasn't been bad. I've, I've certainly felt the attitude uh, altitude here. Um, 
I had more trouble at um, the Stanley Hotel at Estes Park, Colorado, mm-hmm. which is over 8,000 feet. It's another 1,000 mm-hmm. feet. And that was headache territory for me for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. But so far, so good. Now, who are some of the folks that are speaking here besides yourself? And what, what are the topics that they're covering? Uh, well, Stanton Friedman, Nick Redfern, Mike Barra, uh, Steve Marillo, myself. Uh, Stephen Kane um, are uh, some of the speakers here, Nick Pope, uh, and it, it covers the map. My topic, uh, which I uh, lectured on last night, was on the transformative effects of contact and uh, about how contact is, is uh, really altering the consciousness landscape of humanity. Uh, and in ways that uh, we might not anticipate because it's it's never really been discussed or covered before. Most of the emphasis on contact has been on the abduction arena, uh, but there's another whole aspect of contact that's much larger and more pervasive that's at the opposite end of the scale on the positive end. And um, we've had uh, um, Nick Pope talk last night on disclosure and uh, the revelations that came out a couple of uh, years ago with the uh, Air Force uh, video with an encounter with an unidentified uh, flying object, or UAP now, as many people are preferring to call them, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, because we don't really know what they are, and they might not even be craft in the sense that we think of physical craft. Uh, Nick Redfern is going to be talking about men in black uh, this afternoon. Um, Mike Baird did not announce his topic, so um, haven't got a clue there. But this afternoon, George Norrie will be here and Tom Danheiser, and uh, George will be doing one of his panels, and all of the speakers will be on the panel, including myself. And then tonight, there's a special event with Stanton Friedman. Uh, you know, Stanton announced his uh, retirement from public speaking. He's still writing, of course. Uh, and a lot of us aren't believing it. We think he's kind of inching towards <laughs> retirement. Uh, but at any rate, uh, George is going to do a special one-on-one interview with Stanton about uh, his career perspective. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wow, what a weekend. Um, where do you go next then from, from California? Well, my next major trip is England. Uh, this is my one big event here. I have some filming uh, I'm filming for a documentary and for a television show uh, while I'm out here in the L.A. area. Um, and then in um, March, I will be uh, going to England. Joe and I will be going to England for 10 days, and I have uh, speaking engagements and a paranormal investigation of a very haunted castle, Dudley Castle, with uh, two of England's uh, most uh, famous mediums, uh, Stuart and uh, Dean James Foy. Really looking forward to that. And uh, once I get back then, it's uh, a round of uh, conferences and expos and uh, all kinds of things happening between April and November. Mm-hmm. Wow. You've got a full plate, and you're, you're continuing to write, too. The, the most recent book that you put out? Is the Fate Anthology, uh, Flips in Time and Space, which you'll be receiving your copy shortly. Oh, I can't wait. Um, it's been real fun. It's been real popular here at the conference. Uh, not surprisingly, I think this is a topic that fascinates people all the time. Yes. And I'm really pleased with this particular anthology and the ground it covers. So uh, I know when we do our show in February, 
that um, it'll be a real meaty topic of interest to all the listeners out there. Jim, I've, we've, are so lucky. We've got Rosemary coming up here February 23rd. Mm-hmm. UFOs and the ET presence compiled and edited by Miss Guiley. Awesome. We are so fortunate to have you back here in February. And I can't wait to receive that book. I'm going to contact you again for another, per, your schedule permitting, because you're always going places and get you back on for that book I'm about slips in time. Yes, you are a moving <laughs> yes. target. I, I am a moving target, you know. <laughs> um, do you enjoy. But it's, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Do you I, en- I was just going to say it's a real pleasure to be here at uh, Alien Snowfest and Big Bear Lake. I've never been to Big Bear Lake. Uh, are there uh, uh, UFO reports that you've heard about that are indicative of that area? Uh, I wonder why people chose that location, or was it simply just for the the scenery and the the good conference center? Well, there there are UFO reports here, and uh, yesterday the the uh, first speaker was a fellow from the area who's done a lot of Bigfoot research, and his talk was on the correlation between Bigfoot sightings here and UFO activity. Um, the organizer of the conference, Trevor Potter, has a ski shop here, and and so uh, that's part of the reason why we are here uh, at Big Bear. And he had the first one at Big Bear Lake, uh, but um, he does want to keep the franchise going, and he's talking about choosing some other locations. Uh, we've got one of your colleagues on for our guest today. Um, we've got Dave Spinks. I saw that, yes. Uh, Dave is... Uh, one of the founding members of the Society of the Supernatural, along with David Weatherly, and I'm part of that group as well. Um, Dave uh, Spinks is a fantastic researcher, and he's uh, certainly had uh, some incredible uh, Bigfoot experiences on his own. Um, And I know he's going to be a real interesting guest this morning. Do say hello for me. And David Weatherly is here at at, uh, Alien Snowfest as well, so hi from both of us. I sure will. I'll pass that along. Uh, you know, as, as you know, I've been interested so much and so deeply in the UFO uh, mystery. And I'm so happy to hear about the topic of your paper that you presented there about the, the effect and the, the uh, interface of consciousness between this phenomenon and the, uh, the human experiencers. I think that's the, myself, the next big field for ufology, because I think we've had enough of the nuts and bolts reports and the landing trace reports and the who's got the best photograph and videotape. Um, I think that's the next big topic. I believe that myself, Scott, and I had tremendous positive feedback from my presentation Mm -hmm. last night. Uh, And uh, the springboard is the global survey that the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters did um, several years ago, the world's largest survey of experiencers, which showed some amazing results that um, most experiencers who took the survey said they were having positive experiences. And when I looked at the data, uh, I immediately saw the correlations between what was happening to experiencers and uh, similarities in near-death experiencers and also on the mystical end of things, people who study the path of yoga, for example, uh, to awaken the kundalini energy. And it just all dovetailed together. 
uh, and then you bring in this element of contact with non-human intelligent beings, which is how, for the study analysis, we prefer to call them as opposed to alien or ET, because we don't really know that they're extraterrestrial per se, um, that you bring in this element as well. Uh, and it does seem that something is afoot related to the next level of human consciousness. And it doesn't really, uh, in my mind, when I look at the data, uh, because the aliens really don't tell us, according to the experiencers, why they're here, where they come from, uh, why they targeted certain individuals for contact experience. But contact in and of itself has this transformative effect. And it may very well be that that's the whole purpose of contact. Uh, is to um, give this spark, uh, kind of a, a jump spark, to, to human consciousness to expand and incorporate uh, perceptions of alternate realities, uh, transcendence of time, uh, connection to a greater whole. And it also brings forward uh, some of the positive elements that we've seen from the mystical and NDE side, the greater sensitivity to others, more compassion, uh, greater interest in spirituality, uh, connection to the whole, uh, and this, I think, then has the capability of, of going viral, literally, that the, the more of us who have these experiences talk about them and share them, we continue to open the door for more of these experiences to happen, mm -hmm. and that will profoundly change the nature of reality. Uh, Paula Harris, our friend and colleague, does the yearly conference in uh, Laughlin, Nevada, in November, and she's really been targeting and focusing in on consciousness. And Rosemary, I'm going to try to do my best to try to get you out there. I'm on the board of directors for Paula's group, and uh, I want to do my best to try to get you out there because I think that you would you would mix well. <laughs> I already know that you play well with everybody else, and I think that that you would just really feel at home with those folks there. So, well, that would be fantastic, and and I know that Paula has been emphasizing that. She's had Andrea Perrin out there, and Andrea's a good friend of mine. Uh, and I think this is so important. The, the one thing about the study that was so significant was that this was a shocker. You know, I was really expecting to see more of the abduction sort of experiences, because that's where all the attention has gone for several decades. And so it was a real eye-opener. And uh, as I said last night, and... Uh, the analysis of the free study that's been published makes the same comment that uh, these are areas that researchers really need to start going into because it's mm -hmm. unknown territory. It's unexplored. Do you have time for one more question? I sure do. Okay. Uh, I'd like to have your take on this. Uh, Grant Cameron talked about the, um, the energy that we bring into the experience is he believes mirrored back to us by the experience. He used two examples. One is the uh, Peruvian contactee, Ricardo Gonzalez, who takes people to various places and does peace meditations. Uh, they fast, they pray, they have low-level sightings of craft, they even have uh, entity and being sightings. Uh, and it's all positive. It's very uplifting. In fact, our friend, again, Paula Harris, had uh, a very, very close encounter at one of his events. And then Grant contrasted that with the Skinwalker Ranch, where these ex-Special Forces guys that are armed to the teeth, just looking for action, 
And so they're seeing things like creatures that can't be hurt by bullets and uh, all sorts of weirdness that has more aggressive tone. It's as if Grant says that this phenomenon is saying, okay, you want peace? We're going to give you peace. Okay, you're ready for a little bit of aggression and action? We're going to give that right back to you. What do you think about that? Well, I agree with Grant. It, it's really the law of attraction in operation here, the old metaphysical principle that what you think about, how you act, what you expect, uh, is reflected back to you by the cosmos. And I will say this about Skinwalker. Oh, and by the way, Grant is our breakfast speaker this morning, and um, he uh, I chatted with him a little last night after my talk. Um, Grant and I have had many conversations about these consciousness topics, and he paid me a wonderful compliment, I might add, uh, about my talk. But he will be well talking deserved. about these Good. sorts of things this morning. Yes. And now the case with Skinwalker, uh, there is something to be said about the energy of the land itself. It is considered cursed land. People have no right to be on it. Uh, and so if you trespass on this territory that belongs to the Skinwalkers, the sorcerers, uh, you are going to get a blowback from that. So... We have to take into account the energy of the landscape as well. But we also bring our consciousness to the place where we're having experiences. And it's the real wild card. I've always called human consciousness the wild card factor because it can often be the determining factor in the nature and type of, the, of phenomena that uh, erupt as a result. Uh, well put, Rosemary. All the best to you in your travels, and I hope you have a great time at Alien Snowfest. Well, thank you. It's going to be a real interesting day, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. We've got you uh, as our main guest, February 23rd, UFOs and the ET Presence. Uh, all the best to you and Joe. Okay, thank you, Scott. Bye. She is so fun to, to touch base with. Yes, she is. And uh, she's out at Big Bear Lake in California at the Alien Snowfest event, 7,000 feet of altitude. Alien Snowfest. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. We're going to do the bottom of the hour break. We'll come back then with our main guest, uh, Dave Spinks. He's written two books. Uh, one is on Bigfoot and one is on real West Virginia hauntings. Stay tuned for conversations with Dave Spinks with Joe, excuse me, with Jim. <laughs> I like you as Jim. You're Jim. You, that was close. Joe yes. was close. Backwards is Midge, but we'll take Jim <laughs> and Scott and a thermos of appreciated Jack Reacher coffee. Yes, very good. And uh, Dave Spink's coming up right after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. 
Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Are you looking for cutting-edge answers to your health questions? Do you have health questions that are not being addressed by your health provider? Then tune in to Health Talk, your weekly one-hour show on all of the relevant health issues of our day. This is Dr. Paul Fernhaber, and I'm on the show every Saturday morning from 9 to 10. I will not only give you the latest in scientific information on current health topics, but I'll give you an opportunity to call into the show and have your concerns addressed. We'll see you this Saturday morning. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And Jim Shorney over here. We're enjoying uh, Jack Reacher coffee. Uh, looking out the broadcast windows, it looks like uh, the flurries have stopped. Just enough to kind of dust things out there, Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if we uh, hit the forecast, we're going to hit the high 30s today. Yeah. So break out the, the flip-flops. Real heat wave. That's right. <laughs> it's my pleasure to uh, introduce first-time guest Dave Spinks. Dave's background includes having served in the U.S. Air Force for eight years and having retired as a federal law enforcement officer in 2011. He's been investigating and researching the supernatural since 1986 due to several experiences that Dave had as a young man. Uh, Since that time, he's conducted hundreds of investigations in the U.S. as well as Europe. He's the author of West Virginian Bigfoot and the soon-to-be-released Real West Virginia Hauntings, Volume 1. He's a founding member of the Society of the Supernatural, and he makes his home in West Virginia. Dave Spinks, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. So what's it like in your neck of the woods this morning? Um, Are you also cold as we are? Oh, yeah. It's a brisk 24 degrees, snowing, and uh, looking to get more snow tonight. 
<laughs> uh, were you born and raised in West Virginia, uh, Dave? Yeah, I was born here, and uh, I wasn't raised here, though. I mean, I, uh, I, my mom uh, was remarried when I was six and uh, to a military guy, and uh, we, needless to say, we were all over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, but I would always come back here, you know, to visit because both sides of my family are, are mm-hmm. were still here. And, you know, I was in and out of West Virginia all the time, my whole life hunting, fishing, and and visiting my dad and my and my both sets of grandparents, and uh, you know, when I got out of the military, I came back home and stayed here. I started my family here. Hey, Dave, I want to thank you for your service, both uh, in the Air Force and also as a federal law enforcement officer. Thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. My brother was a police officer in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I'm speaking to you from for four and a half years. And so um, he's told me stories of the behind-the-scenes stuff that people would, you couldn't write fiction any wilder or stranger. So I have a kind of an inside glimpse at that. And so, again, much appreciation for your service. Uh, So now you've retired in 2011. What do you do with your fun or spare time? Uh, Well, you know, as you kind of briefly touched on in uh, your intro, uh, I've been doing this stuff, researching and investigating the paranormal since I was a young man. And even during my working life, I was still pursuing and researching the paranormal uh, as much as possible, actually doing residential investigations of people's homes and, you know, reports of strange creatures and UFOs even uh, during my whole working career. And when I retired, I uh, said, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, go full-time, full-board this, um, because it's something I really am fascinated with and enjoy immensely because of some of the, you know, just hearing people's experiences when when you're interviewing someone and they're, you know, and you you look into their eyes and you can tell that they're not making this stuff up, you know. Mm -hmm. They really saw something. They really experienced something. It just, you know, brings more evidence in my eyes to all this ongoing phenomena, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it's to me, it's some of man's greatest questions. You know, what happens to us when we die? Are we alone in the universe? And are there unknown creatures walking amongst us? You know, and uh, for me, of course, the answer is yes to all of those. You know, uh, as well as, you know, we still don't fully understand uh, what happens when we die. Are we just dead or does our energy transfer to some other plane or something else? And to me, those, those, those topics are just fascinating. Mm-hmm. I was uh, uh, eight years old, Dave, playing on the floor of our family room. I had my soldiers set up and just having a, a good time. And uh, my father walked in from uh, his seed uh, laboratory. He was a seed technologist and had his lab in our basement. He had a Canadian colleague with him, and this guy had heard about my interest uh, in, in reading. So the guy gave me a pictorial book about UFOs, and I pushed some of my toys aside and, and started to open the book and looked at these pictures, and um, I had a sense that, wow, wouldn't it be interesting to kind of be involved with this and, and try to find out more as I got older? I had that, that awareness as an eight-year-old, looking at these just amazing pictures. There's many of us that have an initiation of sorts, Dave, in my 34 years of doing the broadcast here, 
I've talked to so many people that have had something happen in their childhood that really charted the course for their adult life. And is this also true of you? Yeah, it really is. Um, <clears throat> as we talked about, you know, I would often come back to visit my grandparents and um, growing up, you know, and being here in West Virginia a lot, uh, we were always in the woods hunting and fishing. And uh, my uh, dad's dad and I would often spend a lot of time in the woods together. And we were on one of our usual summer fishing trips. And we experienced a, uh, only, the only thing you can describe it as is a Bigfoot throwing large boulder at us from across the other side of the river. Um, and that really uh, shaped my life and wanting to pursue you know, answers as to what it was that I saw, you know, that day. And, uh, you know, back then, of course, we didn't have the luxury of the Internet. So I was, you know, forced to resign to searching the local libraries and magazines and newspapers. And, you know, over a course of time, you know, you would come across an article or a magazine article or a newspaper article or even a TV show because it was really big in the 70s, um, which was my childhood growing up, you know, and, uh, you realize, hey, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not crazy. There's other people that have experienced something very similar and seen a similar creature as I, me and my grandfather did. And then it just, you know, that's one, <laughs> one step further into, okay, now what is this thing? And you just, it just, you know, you keep going on and on and on. And, you know, then you discover other things and you have other experiences, uh, you know, <clears throat> and, it's just really led into, you know, shaped my life in many ways because I wanted answers. I wanted a piece, you know, maybe try to find a piece of to the puzzle myself. And it's just led me into all aspects of the field, really. Dave, if you take yourself back in your memory to that, uh, that day with your grandfather, uh, was there anything that happened before this uh, encounter with Bigfoot, oh, any precursor? Did you have any sense it was going to be uh, anything but uh, just a fun day fishing with Grandfather? No, not at all. So you it know, happened was, right out of the blue? Yeah, just totally out of the blue. And, uh, tell me tell know, me about the river. Is it something that, that a human being could pick up a, a rock and throw across the river? I mean, how wide was this? No. And the river at that point, is, is, I mean, it's it's very close to my house now. I mean, I'm often down there still, you know, and I've collected many accounts from numerous uh, residents around this area that have also had experiences in sightings. So the river is about 75 yards across at, at that particular point. Now, a couple of years ago, we had a, what they call a thousand-year flood. And like 53 out of our 55 counties in the whole state uh, had flood damage in um, that particular area where me and my grandpa had our sighting. Used to have a really nice sandy beach area, and that got washed away during the floods. But you know, at that particular time, you know, it was a it was a wide stretch across that the mm -hmm. river right there, and this thing was uh, throwing boulders, you know, really big boulders. A normal man couldn't have picked this thing up and, and let alone thrown it. Um, and this thing was reaching almost nearly out to the center of the river from the other side. And the other side of the bank over there is very, very steep. It's not it's not conductive to a human being on that side of the of the river because of the terrain is so steep and treacherous over there, you know, that uh, you know, because my grandpa, you know, if in the book that I wrote, you know, I tell the story and if you read the book, it talks about how 
my grandpa thought it was people messing with us, you know, yeah. uh, until until we started seeing the trees shake and hearing the yell. And I don't, you know, he saw it and I saw it, but I saw it first because he told me to go run and hide behind the truck. And he, uh, you know, my grandfather was a, was a World War II veteran and he's formed the beaches at Normandy. He was a medic and you can imagine what he saw and he wasn't scared of anything. And yep. when he came running to the truck to get me, when you see the fear in his eyes, you know that, you know, Hey, there's, this is bad, you know? And he said, you know, and then he, he was a, he became a preacher after the war for over 40 years. And he, when, you know, he threw me into the truck and said, we're, we're getting out of here, son. That's not of God. And I'll never forget those words. You know, and he made me promise never to talk about it, you know, and because he was a preacher and he didn't want his uh, parishioners to think he was drinking or doing drugs or crazy or whatever, you know. And um, I never told the story until uh, after he died a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it really, you know, it, it scared the crap out of me. I wouldn't go in the woods for several years after that, mm-hmm. you know, and it took me a long time to get back to go into the woods and doing what I enjoy, you know. There is going to be a, a Nebraska Bigfoot conference in Hastings coming up in February. And uh, one of the gentlemen that's going to be speaking there is from uh, Colorado. And he had a, a similar story in that he was out looking for evidence, tracks, uh, uh, physical evidence, of Bigfoot and across a ravine uh, that was maybe, I want to say 30 yards, 40 yards. On the other side of that was uh, a Bigfoot. And so he stood and, and looked at this creature. The creature was intently looking at him. And he was able during this uh, exchange of, of gazes to look at the tree right behind this Bigfoot and mark where the top of his head was, right? And so he's got a good sense then of, of the height of this. He sort of marked that tree. And then this Bigfoot turns and goes up. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the tail end of a, a mine. A lot of the uh, rocks that tumble down, uh, the scale, or there's a special term for it, but it's, it's loose material, very, very treacherous to walk on. And this creature went up that almost a vertical angle, just like nobody's business. Boom, just went up there yeah, and disappeared. Yeah. So I had... Yeah, there's been many, day- there many reports of these creatures performing uh, superhuman feats and, and whatnot, you know, so... I had a, ch- a chance, Dave, just as you said earlier, to sit in a s- small space with this gentleman look into his eyes as he told the story. And uh, if that is any lie detector, I believe him. I believe him that he was 30 to 40 yards away from this creature, and it sure as heck wasn't a a human being in an ape suit. That is just absurd. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, in today's world, you know, you have hoaxers and you have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, computer technology that can uh, manipulate pictures and whatnot uh, to hoax things. And that's just part of it. You know, you got to weed through that as an investigator. And, you know, I love the, you know, I love the personal experiences 
just by talking to people and interviewing people, you know, when you can look into their eyes like, like you just said, and you know, you know, these people have nothing to gain by telling telling their experiences. You know, if anything, they're going to be made out to be a quack or a, or a whack job or whatever, you know, by telling their story. And um, the thing is, when you sit down with folks, you know, I've interviewed numerous police officers, doctors, lawyers, teachers, you name it. These people have more to lose than gain by telling these stories. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us the nature of your book, then. Is it a number of um, uh, collected stories? Is it um, you talking to people? And uh, did you just come up with so much material that you thought, boy, there's a, there's a book here? Yeah, uh, basically, you know, like, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm literally sitting on a mountain of information from that I've collected over the years from numerous people, not just about Bigfoot, but hauntings and UFO sightings. And, I, you know, as I interview these people, I just kind of put it away in my case files. And, you know, talking to my good friend David Weatherly and Rosemary, of course, uh, you know, they encourage, you know, David especially encouraged me, man, said you need to start putting those things into books because you have a ton of material and there's a lot of people out there that would love to read about it, you know, and and that's and along with my own accounts, my investigative accounts, you know, I've, I've mixed in with the book and, and all these come from people that I've interviewed over the years and, you know, I said, hey, why not, you know, and uh, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a writer by any stretch of the means, but, I, you know, it's a learning process. And, um, you know, uh, the book's being received really well, you know, and I'm really happy about it. And um, I have a lot more. You know, this was just my first go at it, and um, <laughs> it's doing it's doing really good. And I've got several more books in the works now. Like, you, you know, you mentioned the real West Virginia Haunting series I'm working on. and uh, And, you know, the thing, the thing that's weird about me, Jim, is not only did I have the Bigfoot experience with my dad's dad, but a few years later, my other grandpa, my mom's dad, he was also a World War II veteran, and he he smoked like a freight train. I mean, this guy, he uh, he smoked the old Camel non-filter cigarettes, you know, and he was on a trach tube. He had oxygen with a trach in his throat, and he didn't care. He smoked through his trach hole, you know. And we knew it was a matter of time before he would, wouldn't be with us any longer, you know. Well, I was at my dad's house for the summer, which is 30 miles away from his house. And I woke up in the middle of the night one night and sat straight up in the bed. And there's my mom's dad standing at the end of the bed. Now, he looked really good. And I kind of did the old double take and like, what are you doing here, Papa? Because there's no reason he would have been there in the middle of the night, let alone at my dad's house. You know, he wouldn't even have been at my dad's house for any reason. And he didn't say anything to me. He just smiled and then he just disappeared right in front of my face. Well, I just chalked it up as a weird dream. You know, I was still in that, I thought I was still in that dream state. So I just went back to bed and the next day I was worried about him. So I called up to my grandma's house and to check on him and my uncle from out of state answered the phone and i said what are you doing there and he said no one called you yet dave and i said no what are you talking about he said uh your grandpa died last night we're coming where everybody's coming in for the funeral and i kind of just dropped the phone and i didn't say anything about that weird dream i had well six months or so later we all were up at grandma's house eating dinner with her and 
I'm think I, you know, I'm just chomping at the bit. I said I got to tell everybody about the story. Mm-hmm. Now I think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think I came out at the dinner table and told everybody. You know, I said the night Grandpa died, I had this weird dream. I sat up in the bed and there he was, and several members of the family's faces went funny, and they all had the exact same dream. Oh, wonderful! Oh. And you know, I knew right then and there that hey, he came to say goodbye to us before he went wherever he was going. And, you know, that's what led me into even more research and research and investigating the paranormal because I knew by that experience there, hey, there's more to it. There's something else there. And, you know, that's what led me into even more aspects of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was two personal experiences that I had as a young kid, you know, and uh, it really shaped me and, you know, set me on a path to trying to find answers to some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. If we ever do, who knows? You know, but it's the it's the journey and the path that I really enjoy. Uh, my uh, colleague and, and <clears throat> deceased friend Ida Canterberg, she many years ago wrote a book about this. And these were you've been describing a series mm-hmm. of initiations where a truth is revealed to you, and it uh, changes and alters. Dave Spinks in a truly remarkable way, and uh, I'm so quickly, because just like what happened at that dinner table that night, there are uh, thousands of people listening right now to what you've just said, and you know what? They're nodding their heads, because they've also had that contact, too. I think it's one of the biggest secrets in our society. Um, We get focused on death, war, taxes, politics, uh, and us guys, we talk about women a lot, <laughs> but I think, I think yeah. one of the big untalked about things is this survival of consciousness and how our departed loved ones can and do reach out to us in ways that are really, really incredibly interesting. Dave, so far yeah. I'm really enjoying the conversation, and, and I, I appreciate you taking time being with us. Can, can I take a break here, and uh, we'll sure. come, come back, and I, I want to ask you about the physical nature of Bigfoot versus the psychic aspects, and also uh, a question that a lot of Bigfooters always talk about, the kill or no kill to, quote-unquote, prove the existence. So let's come, let's come back and talk about that. Our special guest is Dave Spinks. His book is West Virginia Bigfoot, and if you contact him directly, he's going to autograph a copy for you. His book, also expected release in 2019, is Real West Virginia Hauntings, Volume 1. And if you type into your favorite search engine, Dave Spinks, that's S-P-I-N-K-S, paranormalinvestigator.com, his website will pop right up. In fact, if you just type in Dave Spinks, like I did, S-P-I-N-K-S, it should pop up. You'll also find Dave on Facebook, and we're going to give that information out again here. I'm Scott Colborn, and Jim, I think it's time for some more Jack Reacher coffee as we take our break here. I think we could do that. Okay. Sure. What do you think about this? Isn't this cool? This is cool. Yep. I love these stories. Ladies and gentlemen, we're so happy to have you out there, too. This is so important that you understand that we know you're out there. 
Sometimes you guys will catch us, sometimes you call us, sometimes you email us. But over 34 years, we've got this connection to a great many of you, and we appreciate you folks. You're part of the family, aren't you? We gather around the radio or the computer or listen to the archive every week and hear such incredible stories like what Dave Spinks is talking about this morning. Um, coming up in February, we're going to have a fundraiser. And our fundraiser, February 9th, is for this radio station to keep these sorts of conversations going. The KZUM annual fundraiser. And please tune in that morning. We're going to do some fundraising. Our special guest is Carol Fleet. And we'll be talking about Valentine's Days, both committed in a couple and also as a solo guy or gal. So it'll be a fun program. We're going to raise $1,500 with your graciousness and donations. $1,500 on that morning for nonprofit, non-commercial KZM Radio. We'll take a break and be right back with more conversation with our special guest, Dave Spinks, on this issue of exploring unexplained phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. on guitar and Carolyn on vocals, our friends that make up the band Enigma, and uh, that's called Sky Dancer, one of my favorite tunes by them. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty here, and our special guest, Dave Spinks. Dave makes his home in West Virginia, and is the author of a, a book called West Virginia Bigfoot. And Dave, uh, so the question that I posed to you uh, earlier, the physical nature of Bigfoot and or the psychical aspects of Bigfoot. Where do you weigh in from all your your personal experiences and your, your reports? 
Well, it's a very interesting question because there's so many varying reports out there. For me personally, um, what I saw that day as a 13-year-old boy was a real physical creature because it was interacting with the environment. It was throwing rocks, big giant rocks at us, and it also shook the trees. Uh, We're talking 50-foot trees, you know, shaking them and violently back and forth as it tore the woods down, basically, you know. And But also on the flip side of that, I've interviewed people, and I've also read many reports of people following a trackway, seeing the creature, following the tracks, and the creature goes behind a group of trees or something, the tracks just stop and there's nothing there, you know. Um, numerous reports out there of people seeing one appear and disappear uh, almost at will, you know. So um, there's all kinds of theories out there. Some people think uh, it's some type of interdimensional creature. Some people think it's a uh, the, the missing link between man and ape. Some people think it's an extinct, you know, a, a thought to be extinct species of ape. Um, you know, there's so many theories out there, but, you know, going forward, we don't know what it is. We just don't know because we don't have a physical body of one, you know, and that's the, the all end all get all, you know, with, with Bigfoot phenomena. Dave, I'm a, I'm an Eagle Scout. So, uh, I, I don't have the uh, woods experience that you probably do, but I've spent my fair amount of time in nature. And, uh, are you amazed when people say, uh, that, Bigfoot couldn't exist because otherwise we'd have a lot more reports and, you know, like where would they, where would they live or where would they hide? You know, in your own state of West Virginia, there's plenty of places there for Bigfoot to, to hang out. Well, you know, most people are scared to death of the unknown. Okay. Um, okay. And they don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to acknowledge it. Even though some of them themselves, the, hard, the hardcore skeptics, have had an experience that they will not admit to, they just chalk it up as, you know, it's something explainable or whatnot because they don't want to face the reality, hey, there's stuff out there we just don't understand, you know. And as far as, you know, big, you know, them saying that, you know, there's not a Bigfoot, let me tell you, I live in West Virginia. The whole state is rural, okay? I live on top of a mountain surrounded by millions of acres of woodland, okay? And just down the road from me is one of the largest national parks in the country um, that is nothing but woodland and terrain that people probably haven't ever set foot in or, you know, if they have, it was 100 years ago when they were doing some heavy timbering in here, more than 100, probably 200 years ago. There's just remote, really hard terrain areas all throughout this country that are inaccessible to humans. They're, they're littered with caves. There's plenty of food for a creature such as uh, a, a Bigfoot. There's plenty of cover, you know, and it would be really simple for a, for a small, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, tribe or group of these type of creatures to exist in. You know, they're primarily, most of your sightings come at uh, at nighttime with these creatures. Um, they're believed to be nocturnal primarily. Um, and, you know, there's plenty of places for them to hide. I could I could hide behind a tree right next to your house and never know I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, so 
people, as you touch base with, you know, people are they're running around, especially nowadays, they got their heads buried in their cell phones. You know, they're worried about the nine to five, the kids, whatever. They're not, they don't pay attention to their surrounding environment. You know, and as a, as a military member and, and a federal officer, you know, I, I kind of, doing, paying attention to my surroundings and stuff like that are second nature because you're trained to do that. You know, you're always looking up at the sky, you're looking around, you're seeing what's around you. Um, you know, that's just, that comes with the territory. But most people, you know, they're they're not focused on that kind of thing. They're mm-hmm. focused on their cell phones or, drive, you know, picking the kids up from school, their job, whatever. And, you know, I always encourage people, hey, get out in nature, get outside, look around, observe, you, you know, what's around you. This is Dave Spinks. He's our special guest this morning. And the book that we're talking about uh, if you contact Dave directly, he will sign and autograph a book for you. It's West Virginia Bigfoot. And your your book, I take it, is about the area of West Virginia. But I think the stories would be almost universal in nature because we've got a lot of wilderness in the United States, let alone in Canada uh, and uh, in other areas of the world. Yeah, and, it, you know, this phenomenon is not just a, a North America thing. It's worldwide. I mean, people have reported these same types of creatures with similar descriptions all over the world, you know, and to me that says something. And, but yeah, the book um, the book primarily is, you know, it has some, some theories and some other things in it, but all the accounts come from West Virginia. West Virginia, um, in my eyes, is pretty much the Pacific Northwest of the East Coast, you know, all of Appalachia area, mm-hmm. and primarily West Virginia. There's literally thousands of accounts of these bipedal, uh, large bipedal creatures uh, being sighted here in this little state of West Virginia. You know, size-wise, we're a very small state, but we are covered in wilderness, and there's uh, there's whole cave systems throughout the mountains here, you know, and plenty of places for these things to live, hide, and survive. Mm-hmm. We had a, uh, I want to say it's almost been February of 2018, so we're almost at a year now. Um, I had a report from a woman whose husband was driving uh, in the northeast area of Lincoln, Nebraska, and um, he was driving down uh, a road, and it was snowing very, very slick. And a group of deer uh, bolted out right in front of him, crossed the road, and so he hit the brakes to avoid hitting the deer and partially slid his car off onto the shoulder. Luckily, he didn't go down in the ditch. And he saw these deer run down into an open meadow towards a group of trees. And then all of a sudden, it was like a pinball machine. In mass, this group of deer did a 45-degree angle turn and ran hard away from that grove of trees. And then this guy says he saw this black, blurry shape run out of those trees, running really hard after those deers. And I think myself that he may have seen a Bigfoot. Yeah, it's definitely possible. There's many accounts of people seeing these creatures actually hunt deer and chase deer many i've got reports from hunters um you know uh, i've got reports from uh motorists 
driving down the road very similar to what you have seen. Um, one, one account in my book is very, uh, it's kind of unnerving actually, you know, uh, I interviewed this guy and, uh, he was camping out at the, at one of the lakes here in the, in the high mountain mountainous areas in the state here. And he heard all this ruckus going on all night and, you know, he didn't know what it was, but it kind of freaked him out and he didn't want to get out of his tent. So, and he, and there was about a foot of snow on the ground as this guy was camping. He's pretty hardcore uh, outdoor guy, you know, but something didn't feel quite right to him, and he just decided I, he wasn't getting out of his tent till the morning to check it out. <laughs> um, and, he, and he said, uh, you know, right when um, right when he got there, his two dogs that he always carried with him camping were acting very strange out of the norm for them. He had a big uh, box that he carried when he uh, camped, and the dogs went right in the box and didn't want to come out. You know, that's what they stayed in. And he, he said that was highly unusual for them. You know, they're usually happy-go-lucky. They love the woods. They run around, play. He said they were whining their tails between their legs, and they got in the box and didn't come out. And so he heard all this noise going on all night outside of his tent, and then he was the only guy camping in this area. There was no one else around anywhere for miles. And he got up the next morning, and he started looking around just as day broke. You know, daybreak happened. He got out. And he saw all these deer tracks, but he also saw numerous, what look like, what he described as human, barefoot human foot tracks, but except they were exceptionally large. He said in, um, he wore a 12, size 12 boot, and these things were dwarfed his feet. So he started looking around and saw, you know, saw all these tracks over going over top of the deer tracks, and he started following some of them, and he came across a deer that had a football-sized rock impaled in its chest, and it was still, it still had a, it was still barely alive, and um, he saw it die, but this football-sized rock was impaled in this deer's chest, and it had blood coming out of its mouth, and he knew right then that, to him, that uh, a Bigfoot or multiple big Bigfoots were hunting these deer all through his camp that night, and, you know, that was a pretty uh, hair-raising story. If you think about it, this thing, these things were taking rocks and throwing it at these deers, and they had enough force to impale a football-sized rock in a deer's chest. So the deer, I'm going to guess, um, based upon my out, uh, knowledge of the outdoors, the deer, knowing that there was a predator, did something very unusual. They came into your campsite hoping yeah. that that would help deter the predator. And the analogy for, for my dog is that uh, he's a great dog, but he's older, and so he doesn't move fast. And when he's out in the backyard, there are many uh, creatures that come into our backyard because uh, my dog's going to keep any cat that might be in the area away from our backyard. And so yeah. these creatures can run faster than my dog. And so they hang out with my dog so the cats won't prey on them. Um, Okay, uh, this is Dave Spinks. Um, he is a paranormal um, researcher, a founding member of the Society of the Supernatural. And the book we've been talking about is West Virginia Bigfoot. If you type in Dave Spinks, S-P-I-N-K-S, or the full Dave Spinks Paranormal Investigator.com, you'll find his website. And he's happy to... to uh, connect with you and send you an autographed copy of that book, West Virginia Bigfoot. So at this 
February Nebraska Bigfoot Conference last year, I asked all the speakers that I could uh, this, this question. In, in Bigfoot discussions, some people weigh in on the side of we need to kill a Bigfoot to have a physical specimen to prove the existence. The other side of the coin is that we should not kill what may be a creature that's related to us, a, a sentient being, uh, and possibly if we kill one, that may be, that may be akin to, to murder. Uh, Dave, where do you weigh in on? You've got a background in hunting and the outdoors and law enforcement, uh, kill or no kill? Uh, for me, for sure, 100%, there would be a no-kill for me. Now, having said that, if your life's in danger, if something's attacking you, you have to defend yourself, mm-hmm. okay? Because um, there are accounts of violent Bigfoot encounters, especially with the Native American tribes. Um, there's stories that go back thousands of years that these creatures would come into the camps and take people and eat them so uh you know it was a long-standing war with made it many native american tribes that meet bigfoot um and there's i mean you can research it on you can research it on the internet they there's native american history is oral it's not written and it's passed down generation to generation uh orally so um if you do some research, you will find the many, many different uh, tribes uh, talk about these creatures and them. You know, they have their own area. The natives stay away from it. And there's talk of wars between the tribes and these creatures. I mean, uh, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, me and my good friend David Weatherly went out to Lovelock Cave to investigate uh, one such story by the Paiute tribe, the, the Paiute out west. And, um, you know that story is really fascinating. Um, these these redheaded red, they call them redheaded giants. You know would come into the natives' camps, take people and put them in these baskets they carried on their back that had reverse spikes down them so the people could crawl out, and they would take them back and cannibalize them and eat them. And the natives finally were fed up and they all came together and decided to wipe these creatures out. Well, they they stayed in this one particular cave and they they. Uh, pretty much rounded them up, you know, got them forced back into the cave and told them to come out and fight. Well, they wouldn't come out and fight, so they, you know, they blocked off this cave with a ton of wood and told them, hey, if you don't come out, we're going to burn you out, you know, basically. And uh, a few of them came out. Of course, they were immediately killed, and the rest would not come out, so they set the cave uh, ablaze. And, you know, if you go to this cave, you can go inside of it. It's a massive cave. Um, many thousands of artifacts were found in this cave, um, to include, I think it was 15 inch sandals that were made. Um, and you can see the burn marks today, you know, inside the cave. It's covered, the whole ceiling of the cave's covered with soot and everything. Um, and, uh, it's, it's Native American legends, you know, I mean, lore and, and stories, but there is, you know, when you go visit the actual cave, it, it seems to be some truth to it. So it's fascinating stuff. We've had a, uh, a Lincoln, Nebraska researcher, Rich Sowell, on our program before, Dave, and, and he goes up to the Omaha Reservation quite a bit and spends times up there, spends time up there, both with 
the elders and uh, just being with the lay of the land. And he's, he's talked about going out one night and sitting on some rocks, and he actually had what he thought was probably a young Bigfoot that came right up, and actually, I believe it was he touched the rich's boot, sort of gave it a gentle shove. And so uh, we have these reports, this interaction. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the, the Native American aspect because I was going to ask you about this. Um, we have present-day accounts, certainly, but we have this history of people that lived very close to and were connected to the land and the environment. And I think it's so important if we try to understand Bigfoot to really go back and listen to those accounts. Yeah, you have to take it into account because it's not just modern day stuff. This stuff goes back thousands of years. And, uh, you know, to be worth your salt as an investigator and researcher, you have to look at these accounts because they're very important. You know, it's part of the culture of the Native Americans and it's part of what they, you know, what they pass down to their people today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, this phenomenon has been around for a long, long time. It's not just something, you know, there's a, other many accounts, you know, from the 17, 1800s of hunters, early Americans and early settlers running into these creatures, even loggers here in West Virginia. I've got some accounts from uh, the, the 1800s that uh, these loggers were, you know, being attacked and harassed by these, they called them uh, monkey men and stuff. So, you know, um, the, the accounts are there, you know, and people, you know, it wasn't that long ago, you just didn't talk about the stuff in the public or you'd be highly ridiculed or, you know, uh, it was, it went against God. If, if you're a religious person, you just, these are things you just didn't talk about. And, you know, if you take those old accounts into, uh, into consideration, it was even more so back in those days, people was liking those sightings and those experiences to uh, dealing with the devil, you know, and whatnot, because it was stuff that was just not understood, and they didn't know what else to um, compare it to, you know. And it's very fascinating stuff, especially the really old accounts that go way back into uh, history. (laughs) Dave, I'm not trying to anthropomorphize Bigfoot and give them human qualities and thinking and emotions and things, but I've talked to many researchers uh, that feel like Bigfoot is aware of them. They have perhaps been in an area, this is the, the human investigator, enough to habituate the local Bigfoot population, that the Bigfoot population knows that they're not a threat, that they're going to come periodically to this area. And so there is an interaction that takes place. Um, have you ever thought about that? Do you think Bigfoot is aware of Dave Spinks? <laughs> well, at least one was at one time. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a fascinating aspect. Um, I'm sure if you go to a specific area in there, there, even if there's deer in an area, you know, we've, We've hand-fed deer here where I live. If any creature uh, becomes accustomed to you and doesn't feel threatened by you, you know, they they would obviously uh, be comfortable with you being around and and not 
feel threatened and run away or whatever the case may be. Um, it's just like anything else, you know. Uh, people take in stray cats, stray dogs. You know, at first they're real skittish, but you know, if uh, they come, become accustomed and don't feel threatened by you, then they're gonna, you know, common sense says they're gonna mm-hmm. warm up to you at some point. You know, mm-hmm. and I do have accounts. Um, I have an account out of Florida from a, a friend of mine that she swore up and down that her grandma had a family of Bigfoot that would visit her every uh, spring, and she would leave out food for them on her back porch, and they would. She said they communicate, they talked in a gibberish that actually sounded like broken English. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this woman swore up and down that, you know, this happened many, many, for many years until her grandmother died. And then they didn't come around anymore. Mm-hmm. And her grandma lived in a really rural area down in Florida, which, you know, in Florida, we would call that the skunk ape, you know, but right. um, same type of creature, same description, the whole nine yards. So, you know, are these some of these accounts sound far-fetched? Sure, you know, but you never know. I mean, you know, there's just thousands and thousands of accounts out there from credible people that, like I said earlier in the show, have something more to lose than gain from telling these stories. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim is in the studio with me here, and Jim, we're a, I've got maybe a few years on you, but we're we're about the same generation. Yeah, pretty close. Do you remember the? Um, it was either Life or Look Magazine, Sir Edmund Hillary and his uh, Mount Everest experiences, mm-hmm. the abominable snowman that yeah. at, at altitude yeah. and in areas that humans hadn't been, they were finding tracks from something. Mm-hmm. And some of the team actually had sightings then. I remember reading this as a young boy, thinking to myself, wow. Here is this guy that is at the peak of the adventurers, and he's talking about the reality of these creatures. There's got to be something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would he have to gain by saying that? You know? Oh, he'd have so much to lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, here he's the, you know, one of the world's most renowned uh, uh, adventurers, and, you know, does it bring him more attention? Sure. But back in those days, you know, your reputation was even, you didn't want to be labeled as a nutcase back in those days. <laughs> no, you've got, to, you've got to get money for these trips. Mm-hmm. You've got to get funding. Yeah. You've got to get benefactors Absolutely. and patrons and donations. And if you're back in the 1950s, if you're claiming that, that uh, the abominable snowman or Yeti is real, wow. I mean, that's some serious stuff to to take on and to stand behind. Yeah, they even have a famous picture of the trackway those guys found, I believe. Uh, you know, there's a famous picture of a trackway through the snow there um, of one of those groups of uh, early on of Everest folks and stuff. And um, it, was on, it was actually in Time Magazine, wasn't it, at one point or something? Um, you know, that stuff's, that's some of the early stuff I came across when I was a young mm-hmm. man trying to find answers to what I saw. Dave, before we take our bottom-of-the-hour break here, and then I'd like to turn our conversation to your upcoming book, Real West Virginia Hauntings, um, I'd like to ask you a final question. Uh, given what you know, and given that there may be a link between your consciousness and the sentient creatures, if you could send 
the local Bigfoot in area in your area a message, would you say something like, I'd like to have a friendly, close, and personal encounter with you? Would you consider sending them that, that message? Of course. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, I mean that would be the end-all, say-all there for me because it would prove to everyone out there, you know, if I could... Well, I wouldn't prove it unless I was able to take some kind of video or picture of the whole deal or record it or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that would be a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to be able to do something like that. Just, well, you know... The, the rest of the world and their demands for truth be damned. Just for Dave Spinks, if you had a chance to do this, I mean, Dave, from your lips to God's ear, and now, oh, that, now that we've talked about this, <laughs> I want you to assure me that when, when, not if, but when this happens, you're going to come back on the show and tell me about this, okay? Because I want you to remember what we just talked about. You're going to send a message saying they want to have a friendly encounter, and uh, I... I want to talk to you again because I, I really think that the nexus of a lot of this stuff, and we can talk about this too with your new book coming out, the nexus of a lot of this is centering around consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and, you know... Go, go ahead, Dave. Uh, going back to that question you asked me, you know, I think they're, I think they're like... I would liken them to people, okay? There's many different races of people. Yeah. There's different, uh, you know, some some people are more prone to violence than others. Some are, you know, would be more apt to protect their territory than others. And some would be friendly, just like people. You know, I think it's very similar in nature because there's many reports of violent encounters and there's many reports of friendly encounters, you know. So you have to think that these creatures being intelligent, which I feel they are highly intelligent, uh, it would it would be similar, very similar to just different races and breeds of people, if you will. Our special guest is Dave Spinks, and if you type in Dave Spinks, S P I N K S, or Dave Spinks Paranormal Investigator dot com, his website should pop right up. Uh, he's the author of West Virginia Bigfoot. And he said on his website, if you contact him and work out the details, he'll send you an autographed copy of that book. He has a expected release in 2019 of a brand new book that is going to be the first in a series, uh, Real West Virginia Hauntings, Volume 1. He's our first-time guest, and Dave, I'm really enjoying the, the conversation with you. Yeah, same here, guys. I'll talk to you about the paranormal all day long, man. <laughs> We're going to take the bottom of the hour break, Dave, and we'll be right back uh, with more conversation here. Jim, how's your coffee cup doing? Doing just fine, Scott. We've got some Jack Reacher coffee, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, what do you folks out there enjoy? What do you like to, to drink as, as you listen to the program? A lot of you are on the, the live website, kzum.org, and some of you were here in Lincoln, Nebraska, listening over the uh, FM carrier, 89.3 FM, and still others are listening on the archives. So you could be listening, actually. Um, you're, you're not listening yet. Yeah, you're, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the, in but the you future. Could, you could do that uh, in the future, any time, day or night. But sure. uh, we're, we're lovers of coffee here and, and good conversation and the sure knowledge that 
on the other end of our conversations are you folks out there that we are so appreciative of. I have a favorite saying of mine when I talk about you folks as our listeners and fans, uh, that we love the space between your ears. Stay tuned for more conversation with Jim Shorty and our special guest, Dave Spinks, and myself, Scott Colborn, on this issue of exploring unexplained phenomena. We'll be right back. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, Metal Art Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, January 26th, the Bourbon Theater's 9 o'clock show features Cuddlebone, Dust on Dust, and Mobius. Tupelo Springfield plays Metal Arc Coffee at 7, and Freakabout, Gallivant, and Night Push play the Zoo Bar at 9.30. That's all happening this week in Lincoln. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM.
From Enigma, Dave Epp on guitar, great guitar player, and Carolyn on vocals. They uh, are going to be around a venue near and dear to you here in southeast Nebraska. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena and uh, really enjoying the conversation with our first-time guest, Dave Spinks. He is a founding member of the Society of the Supernatural. And Dave, um, Rosemary Guiley was on earlier and she said that David Weatherly and Rosemary are both at the Alien Snowfest conference, and they send you uh, their highest regards and best wishes. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Weatherly's great friend of mine, and Rosemary uh, is awesome, awesome lady. Um, you want to talk about two people that are just encyclopedias of knowledge when it comes <laughs> to the paranormal? That 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 two of them right there. <laughs> and I'm so proud to, uh, you know, be friends with them and be associates and work with them. And, you know, uh, Rosemary wrote the foreword to my new book, which I was really stoked about. And, um, you know, Weatherly wrote the uh, foreword for the Bigfoot book for me as well. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's a real pleasure. You know, when I have questions, those are the people I refer to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, they, they've been around longer than me and, uh They've, you know, just in every conceivable topic you can think of, I mean, they've delved into. So, you know, uh, it's it's great to be uh, friends with those folks. Uh, this is Dave Spinks, and uh, he has a brand new book coming out sometime in 2019, Real West Virginia Hauntings, Volume 1. And uh, what was the the seed idea or the the reasons behind writing this book well it's um it's kind of similar in nature to the bigfoot book you know um over the years as we talked about briefly you know i've done literally just hundreds and hundreds of investigations especially in my home state of west virginia um because this is where it all started for me you know and uh even during my working life as a more more so as a uh, federal law enforcement officer than military member um, because I was traveling all over the world in the military and I was, I was I lived in Italy for like five years. I did some investigating over there, but the bulk of my investigations are here in the United States. Um, just I've got just a mountain, uh, literally a mountain of uh, accounts and investigations that I've done uh, investigating here in the States, whether it be residential homes, uh, reported haunted locations, haunted graveyards, the whole nine yards. And um, what I decided to do was I kind of mixed some of the folklore, you know, some of these stories that I've gone out and actually investigated uh, numerous times over the years and put them into a book, you know, a book series, because I've got enough literally do, to do three to five lengthy books. <laughs> and I decided I was going to do at least one investigation and account and uh, 
and story from every single county in the state because I've literally got something from every single county in the state of West Virginia. How many counties are there? 55. Wow. And some, um, obviously, some of the counties I have multiple, you know, multiple uh, investigations in and whatnot. And some of these are actually uh, very high-profile cases that have been on TV. Some have been... um, you know, on multiple TV shows, and some are people's homes that uh, haven't been having just insane amount of paranormal activity in them. And I've worked with their worked with the families and everything else. And um, you know, they're allowing me. Some are allowing me to put them in the book, and some are allowing me to put them in the book with, as long as I change their names because they don't want that kind of attention after dealing with what they dealt with. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, it's you know. No one's ever really done that, and uh, I think that it'll be very eye-opening to people. You know, West Virginia is one of those places of just uh, crazy amounts of paranormal activity in all aspects, whether it be UFOs, whether it be uh, hauntings, and uh, strange creature sightings. I mean, we have it all here in the in the Mountain State. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have reports uh, uh, of hauntings uh that are reported by uh, young people. And I'm thinking about um, a little boy or little girl that maybe tells their parents that something occurred. Uh, and yeah, there might have, be a teaching that we can do to, to a lot of the parents that are listening right now in terms of what they should do uh, if their child comes up and says, mommy, there was a man that came into my room last night. He walked in out of the closet. Oh yeah, there's a lot of those. Uh, there's a lot of those type of accounts that I've, you know, uh, witnessed and, and experienced, and, and and actually interviewed these families. And a lot of them uh, starts with the children because I think, personally, after doing this for so many years, children are basically uh, uncorrupted and polluted. Okay, right? They're more open. They're more uh, open to these types of things than than adults are because adults, like I said earlier in the show, they're more closed off and more closed minded. They don't, it, it literally scares the hell out of them. You know, the unknown, a lot of folks, and they don't even want to deal with it. They don't want to acknowledge it or anything, but children don't know any better. So, you know, they are more open to it and, uh, spirits and entities know this. I have several accounts from young kids in the big book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that their parents contacted me and said, hey, you know, little Johnny, quotation marks, you know, he used to play outside all the time, and he saw this creature, and he doesn't play outside anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. So, uh, and, and the same goes for uh, uh, haunting. You know, little kids see stuff all the time, and you have to really pay attention. If, if you're ch- if, uh, To all the listeners out there, if your child comes to you, and says they saw something or they, you know, they may even have be having a conversation with something that's not there. Pay attention to it because it's not always going to be paranormal, mm-hmm. but it could be. It could be, you know, so pay attention to it. Listen to what they're telling you. Have them draw a picture of if they can draw or if they're old enough to draw something. Have them draw it for you and see what, what, what comes out of it because, you know, it's it's real. You know, and I'm I'm here to tell you, there's stuff out there that we just don't understand, and uh, this stuff is real. Dave, I'm I'm a, a little challenged geographically. Uh, 
were there battles of the Civil War fought in West Virginia? Yes. Um, there's the biggest battle fought here. There was numerous small skirmishes, but the biggest battle was fought on uh, what they call Drew Mountain. Um, and there was uh, a lot of guys killed. The Confederates lost uh, over 100 men there. And they were, some are buried on the mountain still, but most were carried down about 30 miles away to a town called Lewisburg. And they were, they stacked the bodies around this old stone church that was built in the 1700s. And they laid there for days, just, you know, decomposing. And it was a horrendous sight, they said, you know. And they finally, you know, they were trying to give the families an opportunity to uh, come and collect the, their loved ones. And most of them, you know, these guys were from all over the country and they couldn't make the trek or didn't even know their loved one was dead. So they ended up burying them in a mass grave uh, up on top of the hill in the giant, in the shape of a giant cross. There's 96 guys buried there. And so a few are still buried on a uh, group mountain as mm-hmm. well. And I've done, um, it was really a great thing because I'm the only guy that's ever been allowed to actually conduct a professional and paranormal investigation on that mountain and in the museum they have there where they, where they have actual artifacts that were dug up on the battlefield there and put in the museum. And let me tell you, there's a lot of uh, stories. If you, if you go on the Internet and you type in through Fountain, you'll see a lot of ghost stories from numerous folks. And let me tell you, that place is extremely haunted. <laughs> and are you spelling that uh, Drew as D-R-E-W? No, Drew, D-R-O-O-P. Gotcha, Droop Mountain. Well, the Battle of Droop Mountain. So uh, um, would these be called residual hauntings? Um, well, that's, that's an interesting question because I, I got some residual stuff. I've actually recorded musket fire up there and cannon fire on residual recorders. But I also, inside the museum, um, I got a lot of interactive stuff. So I would say there's a little bit of both there. I, I'd say there's an active intelligent haunting going on as well as residual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've talked. I've, I've actually investigated that whole church area, too, where uh, because that, that cemetery and that church there where they stack the bodies uh, is very haunted as well. And mm-hmm. up on the, the burial ground, you know, because those, those spirits are basically... Uh, they, they weren't given the proper burial. They're buried in a mass grave, you know. And that this, parts of West Virginia were very Southern sympathetic, you know. And uh, a lot of these guys, uh, when you know, when they say it was brother against brother, they weren't lying, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter which side of that, that thing you weigh in on, uh, it was an incredible conflict. Um, we've had a, a gentleman on who does research in the... Gettysburg area, and uh, he uh, has talked about going out uh, late at night to parts of the battlefield and uh, basically asking for if the guys are there to give out a rebel yell, and uh, they will will do it. Yep, they will. I've done a lot of stuff in Gettysburg over the years. I've, uh, I, I, one time I was out there on the, uh, Calvary battlefield area, mm-hmm. separate from the main battlefield. Mm-hmm. And I, I started yelling out military command and I said, fire at will, fire at will. And sure enough, man, I got several barrages of musket fire. I got cannon fire off in the distance. 
I did a lot of background on that, and I checked all over the area. There was no reenactment. This was 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So you know there was no reenactors out there doing anything. Um, I also got an EVP. Um, I yelled out, you know, think, you know, I was in the mindset, okay, I'm walking through the aftermath of the battle. So I started calling out, who wants whiskey? You know, I'm, I'm trying to communicate with wounded soldiers. And I caught an EVP there that uh, a guy is almost like in his last dying breath. He's saying, water, water, you know, and it was fascinating because that's exactly if a guy was gut shot or whatever, he'd be wanting water, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, when you get stuff like that, man, it really sends the hair on the back of your neck up. I mean, because you, in my view, point of view, I'm communicating with a spirit of a soldier, without a doubt, you know. And, you know, it's just phenomenal when you can yell out stuff, you know, yell out actual military commands and you get a response of musket barrages and cannon fire. It's it's fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I've heard so many accounts of people that are there that have experienced, you know, smelling gunpowder, hearing the the guns going off, the clash of metal against metal, uh, actually feeling the earth shake as Calvary unseen charges by, horses neighing and winning, and uh, then the uh, park ranger, that they go back to the center, the park ranger says, uh, there was no reenactors on your part of the battlefield today. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you talk to, I've interviewed many residents that lived there over time and, you know, uh, you know, they'll say two, three o'clock in the morning, man, they'll, they'll hear cannons going off like they're in their backyard. It, it scares the crap out of them, the house shakes and everything else, you know? So, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of activity at Gettysburg for sure, without a doubt. Dave is, is, is our habit. I'd like to give the microphone to you for the last 60 seconds or so and have you say whatever you wish to our listening audience. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, well, you guys can check out my website. It's com. It has many different pages. I have a store that's coming online next month, early next month. And, uh, you know, you can see some of the TV shows I've been on, uh, some of the book projects I have coming out. And you can get a, a first-hand look at Society of the Supernatural, which was formed by me and David Weatherly. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a member. Eric Altman, Barry Gaunt, uh, Kristen Lee. And um, <coughs> it's, a, it's a great group of folks that have a lot of years of experience in the paranormal, you know. Uh, each person has probably well over 25 years of experience in it. Um, you can... Uh, it has links to all the events I'll be uh, speaking at coming up. And, and it's constantly updated, you know, because I'm always adding events or whatever the case may be. And, um, yeah, I appreciate it. If you want a copy of uh, my book from me, sign, um, you can send it to pay, my PayPal address. Uh, make sure you stipulate what book you want or what DVD. I was also recently in a new Flatwood Monster movie, uh, about Flatwoods, West Virginia, about a sighting that happened in 1952. You can get one of those from me signed if you like. On uh, Just make sure you specify in the PayPal what product you want. Um, my PayPal address is popshooter1569 at gmail.com, T-O-P-S-H-O-O-T-E-R at 1569 at gmail.com. If you want it directly from 
me. If you want my books from Amazon, you can go just type in my name in the Amazon authors, and uh, you will find uh, the West Virginia Bigfoot book and other another book about Bigfoot that I contributed to by David Weatherly. Mm-hmm. And there, my new books will also be on there. Dave, thanks very much for being with us today, and I've really enjoyed um, uh, the conversation. I feel like I know you a little bit better, and I'd like to have you come back at some point in the future. I want you to feel like you'd be welcome back here. Absolutely, uh, Scott and Jim. I appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, I love talking about this stuff. And uh, anytime you want me, just get in touch. Our special guest this morning has been Dave Spinks. And if you type in Dave Spinks, S-P-I-N-K-S, he should pop right up in your favorite search engine there. The full website is DaveSpinksParanormalInvestigator.com. Jim, who's up next week? We've got Joe McQuillan. And uh, he's got a soul-searching book about his son who passed. And the book is called My Search for Christopher on the Other Side. Um, in about three to four minutes, a favorite voice of ours is going to take yeah. over the airways, and that's Vic. Vic yeah. is in the house. With yeah. Mesoterra. With lots of great music. Yeah, so stay yeah. tuned here. Don't go away. We've got great music with Vic and Mesoterra coming up for you. Uh, later today from 3.30 to 5 is my buddy Ed Rumbaugh, who can hit a golf ball farther than any human being I've ever seen in person. And he's got a pilot program coming up of jazz, and today it's about Thelonious Monk. So 3.30 to 5 today, his uh, debut, and uh, this is a guy that really knows his stuff. So if you like jazz, that's going to be up today at 3.30. Stay tuned next week for Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim, until then, I I hope you have a great weekend and And upcoming week. And you folks out there, again, we appreciate you so much. We appreciate Dave Spinks taking time to be with us. Our thanks to Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Shelley from Canada for their generous gifts of donated uh, prepaid phone cards. We love the space between your ears. I'm Scott Colborn, and until next week, walk in beauty.